The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The decisions you make in your health choices can truly reflect the current and future course of your life. Welcome to Wise Chats, Simple Talk, Profound Wisdom, with your host, Dr. Mary Jo Bulbrook. Our show will bring leading-edge expertise to deep challenges faced by individuals and humanity. We'll draw on ancient wisdom as well as the latest research from our diverse guests. Now, here is Dr. Mary Jo Bulbrook. Welcome to Wise Chats. We have with us today two very special guests from uh, down under in uh, Australia. I'd like to welcome both Bob Randall and Barbara Randall to the show. We've been looking forward to this for some time now. It's uh, really hard to try to coordinate the times from uh, on top of the earth and down under the earth to come up with a time frame that works for both. So I'm very excited that we have the opportunity to connect together. And Bob and I have been associated for probably at least 20 years now, and I really want to give him credit for being one of the key persons who helped open and deepen my abilities in a spiritual realm. I remember when Bob and I first met, it was actually in New Zealand, and I can't call the date, recall the date now, but I was very impressed with... uh, listening to his story and how he shared the work of the Aboriginal people from uh, Australia and what some of his journey was like. And we started uh, doing some things together shortly after that, and I found that Bob was one of the key persons who taught me how to connect with the land in a, in a very different way and uh, also with the animals. And so hearing firsthand from you the stories of uh, what you were taught by your people and maybe starting with a little bit of your history would be a a good background for uh, people to understand some of the things of how what influenced you in your life. So I think they'd probably like to hear it better from you than my phrasing it, Bob. So why don't you tell a little bit about uh, your story? Well, my traditional country is the center of the continent in the desert area of what we call Uluru, a huge monolith like the heart of the, the, the country. Uh, the white man's name for it was Ayers Rock, uh, but it, to us it was always known as Uluru. And next to it, uh, very close, 50 kilometers from it to the west is uh, another set of domes, which is known as Kata Chuta, uh, which is Chuta is many, and uh, Kata means one's head. So it has that kind of domes there, like lots of heads sticking up out of this arid flatland, the desert. 
and the uh, soil around it is beautiful red, red. So these uh, these uh, protruding domes are very spectacular, different in sizes, and of course, and there's not far from it is the rock we call Uluru. And uh, they run from west to east. And another one further out, about almost 100 k's to the east, is what we call a tilla, a flat top. Each one's totally different makeup. In a conglomerate, is Kalajuta, sandstone, is Uluru, and uh, Attila is a flat top. But that's my homeland area, roughly, with those big geological uh, geology landmarks here. And this is where I grew up. Lived with my family for many thousands of years now. And we've always been the caretakers for the country. Today they refer to us as landowners or, you know, uh, traditional owners. But, well, you know, a human can never own the land. The land will always own the humans because we are. Uh, children of the land, like all the other living things, which are our brothers and sisters, but need not necessarily be humans. They're in other living forms, which we are very much aware of and connect with in that natural way of knowing the truth and uh, just living the truth in a daily moment-by-moment reality, you know, acknowledging with respect every other living thing around us and for the service we care and share with each other and uh, live with those kind of purposes. So I was born into this country uh, after a Scotsman came over here and my, my, I had three, uh, four mothers totally, my birth mother and three others. And uh, uh, in the big desert area of the early 20s, they walked, left Uluru because of the really dangerous situation, which was the water was running out everywhere, and walked across to Wataka, or King's Canyon, uh, and uh, bumped into the Scotsman there trying to struggle at keeping alive. It's a very early days of trying to get some stock on land, and they gave him a hand, and the first thing he took on was sheep, of course, which the dingoes loved him for it, you know, because, oh, the sheep were so easy to get. So eventually he went into cattle, and that's when I was, uh, I came along, because my mothers were his uh, care for his sheep, and uh, as well as looking after him when he needed caring for. So that's a early one. We were of the, what we call the Yankandyara nation, uh, and I was my uh, concept and birth land is in the um, Luritja, Luritja. So younger than Luritja is my nationality, the two different nations I belong to and am responsible for the country in those two places. Angus down the size is about 180 square miles. And uh, the, the other one is quite uh, Tempe Downs, where the other station is just much the same size. So a couple of beautiful little properties next to each other. And uh, as you know, Mary Jo, you've been to both these beautiful places and they, 
that's where homeland, you know, all these beautiful countries where we do have permanent water. So we're very lucky for that, especially at Wataka, or the white man's name for King's Canyon. And uh, so that's where he started. Then he set out to Angus, and uh, that's where I lived until I was stolen. I was one of those stolen kids. Because the government set out the legislation that any kids of white ancestry had to be picked up and put into institutions so that they can be turned into white kids. Uh, so I was one of those kids. And my experience, my family was charged with cattle killing. And my mother's, of course, aunties, and like myself, charged with being in possession of stolen property. So, of course, our constable Bill McKinnon arrived with his camel, two tractors, and a number of prisoners already in chains. And he had charged and arrested my family and put them in chains around their neck. And then we ended up walking for about three, four month, uh, weeks to Alice Spring Jail. So and I'm the little kid walking beside my family members uh, all the way to Alice Springs. Wow, and so, wow. And, uh, it's, and then I was separated at the jail where the courthouse is there now. And uh, the local policeman grabbed me and separated me from the family after we'd walked there. took about four weeks to get there, of course. It might have been a little bit longer. Uh, in a November monthly hot time, so we got there around about Christmas time. So it was the hottest time of the year, you can imagine. And we walked all that way between, behind his camels. And as I said, my family was in chains around their neck with the other prisoners that was charged with lots of offences and uh, next to nothing the offences were like he swore at somebody or those days. <laughs> wow, that's, wow, that's, that's really, really um, sad to hear about the um, experiences that you had. It's it uh, yep. People can't really imagine what you've gone through in your people. Oh, uh, and then from there, after the institution, once I was separate, I never ever saw my father, my mothers again. You know, it was there with a lot of my mothers and aunties and uh, older uncles and brothers. Grandpa was a killer, cattle killer, and then my daddy was a cattle killer. So, we, and of course, and as their children, I ate every bit of it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, to us, it wasn't a crime. It was just taking meat uh, because you needed, it, and it was on our own land. You know, so. The difference of culture is one of the interesting things which creates so many situations of misunderstanding and uh, and that still happens even today. This uh, The English got a funny way of dealing with other countries' culture. They just believe anybody else's culture is worse than theirs and they dominate with theirs. Uh, some of our culture is 100% better than the English one. They're not willing to listen or to try it out, you know, but if they did, they'll find it, it is a thousand percent better than their way. You can really start caring for people if they take on aspects of our culture. It's the way we're taught to care for others. They put it into the practice of spirituality and label it, even if it belongs to another country's spirituality, but they claim it as theirs, but they find they can't really live it. They can only talk about it. 
at least it isn't naturally theirs. But having raised, because from that institution uh, of being, uh, I was placed on a mission station in Arnhem Land uh, as a young boy. And uh, so I was taught compulsory learning of how to be a Christian. And uh, it didn't make any difference because I, I was, uh, the way of life of caring and sharing was just our natural way of being. It, you didn't have to be anyone different to to be able to do that. So it didn't make any sense to me. We already lived like that. We already had the love for each other naturally. It, it, didn't, it didn't have to be put on because you want to please somebody or not please somebody. It was just a way of being, the way we lived each moment of our life. And uh, so I said, well, this doesn't make sense. They're already telling me about the way I should live, and I'm already living that way. <laughs> I think they were having problems with it. <laughs> That's right. Well, one of the things that I recall from my experience of uh, connecting with you, Bob, is that uh, I I really feel that I learned so much from you and understanding at a heart level about culture and valuing and honoring different traditions of people. And even though I have a doctorate degree, I find what has helped me most, especially to do the kinds of things that I do now, it was the sensitivity that you taught me on how to connect with the land and to connect with the animals and that we're all one together. And yes, what happens of, with one, it influences the other. You are so right. And that's why one has to be really careful, you know, of uh, because we see everything around us as part of us and have to be considered as a, uh, as a species, I understand, which is like me. So I've got to see every tree as a human being, every kangaroo as another human being, an emu, a snake, a butterfly, an ant, a fly, a grasshopper, you name it. They've got equal rights as I have. So I've got to consider their rights and I can't be seen to be dominating and, you know, getting rid of them because I want their space, you know, because it's the same crime as taken from another person. And that includes the, the, the trees' rights, which you can understand because our way was always fit into what is already there. I just become family members. And we're lucky because we're born into that kinship as family with other living things, uh, you know, and we bring that totemic uh, into the earth space from where we come from, the spiritual world, into this physical world, as I showed you, and, and, and showed you how the real, real relationship works in so many places. And, uh, and, and, and it works. Once you get into that level, as you've discovered, you found that it was uh, real. It, it's real. <laughs> we are related to all other living things. And what we do to the other living things will eventually do to ourselves. And I would rather do us do to other things as much good as I can because eventually I'm doing all that goodness for myself anyway. And it's it it really does work. I would imagine with uh so much of what you have uh 
suffered and your people have suffered, that it would be hard to move into the energy of compassion and love. But of anyone that I know, Bob, I think you're, you really speak your truth and have, uh, have a lot to teach all of us about how to forgive and how to operate from a higher principle. <laughs> That's good. Yep. Yeah. It's it's uh, and it's lot. You know, it's, you have to retain the level of having a good relationship all other living things. So to always forgive a wrong committed to to yourself is always the right way to go, and and we're raised like that, you know, and uh, it it works. It works. <laughs> it it does. <laughs> And I've, one of my favorite stories that uh, I've heard you talk about is how when you walk the land of Uluru and you'd say, uh, this is my living room and it would oh. be a stretch of land or as far as the eye could see. And then you said our covering was the stars at night. That's a good one. <laughs> that's good. And just let's give you a size of uh, you know uh, what you are part of. That's right, <laughs> yeah. and it's it's, it's a very different concept. Instead of the way in uh, many people focus their lives on stuff and and yep. harboring things, rather than uh, being uh, open and as connected to the earth and the land as you were taught and raised at as a child. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's a whole space. It becomes space in me because you're filling it all up. And it is huge. <laughs> <laughs> it is huge. Well, I, I know, Bob, you have spent most of your life as a teacher and leader for uh, of your people in education and community development. Can can you say something about how you made the decision to go in that direction with your life? Yeah, well, one of the things, you know, as you well know, those of us who know, the old Methodist church had a strict way of raising all their uh, people, you know, and us kids was no different. They were very strict with us. You know, they always believed that do not eat any food except you may you earn it by the sweat of one's brow. You know, you had to really dig the ground up and plant your seeds and then take the fruit from the hard labor. We, But ours was a lot softer than that because we had to just, uh, when I was learning all these great new teachings uh, of hardship, uh, I learned also from the other Aboriginal people living up on the beach at close you know, the northern end of Australia, where I ended up being taken to, from the desert to the coastal area, that if I made the spear correctly, I could just go in the water and spear myself a meal anytime I wanted to. And it seemed so much easier. Mm-hmm. Where well, I'd work eight hours to get a food, I could get it in eight minutes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that is a very different concept. And sit down and enjoy the swimming and the playing with other kids, you know, all the other time. <laughs> right. A very spontaneous lifestyle. Oh, uh, yeah. And that's the uh, way, way it was. So you have these two different lifestyles being lived. Uh, even the strict teaching that was coming from the white missionaries, which they seem to like. They, they love doing that type of stuff. But I found it quite uh, 
not, not that interested in it, you know, but I had to mm-hmm. do it, I suppose, to have a sit at the table and eat the bread they were putting on it. <laughs> well, one of, one of the things that I heard, I also have worked with Credo uh, Mutua, who is a Sangoma from South Africa, and I remember so clearly him talking about the point that you just made, is when other people come to uh, to a country that really the heritage belongs to the people of that country, but they bring their different ideas and their points of view, and instead of creating a collaborative or partnership relationship, it became a dominant dominance, yeah. like mine is better than yours, and you have to, even though you live there and it's your heritage, you have to adopt our ways and leave what you believe in, and there's something about that that isn't right, and today I don't think we're still struggling with that same principle. Yes, yes, it's that energy, it isn't right. You know, when you uh, here, we find that when we move into another person's country, we first we observe, and then we make inquiries, and then we fit into the way they would like us to fit into their way. And the first thing you learn is learn that country's culture and language, so that you can understand the words the people are speaking, and that never happened. They forced there. Uh, language to be learnt by us, and uh, and the way they—you've got no idea how hard it was for me to learn to wear their clothes, even as a boy in the institution. Because the age level of me going from total nakedness was about seven-ish into an institution where every kid was made to wear these horrible uncomfortable feeling clothes was a reality. They are not comfortable. It is a lot better to be without them when the weather's so hot. And uh, yeah, they do serve a purpose when the weather's colder as a covering to keep a little bit warmer. But And you should feel free to take it off whenever you want to. It'll make an enormous difference of the total mentality of one's freedom and uh, being uh, experiencing that freedom in a way that makes so much sense, or it did with me anyway. Uh, yeah, and I think it was a lot of our people. And then with with those normal little things which you, 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 you the mistake, you see then the body has something that's not very nice. You've got to cover it up. It, it, you know, I, I don't see that. We've always seen the body as a beautiful thing. Using this one little, you know, example of how beautiful things could be made to look bad by another country's culture saying it's bad when you know yourself it wasn't. And that happened in so many ways, our ability to uh, to identify the food we wanted, how to make the tools we needed to be able to procure that so that we could uh, make it into food for us. Ours was so much quicker and it worked so much better. And another thing, we never ever took anything we only took what we needed for that time, was no more than what we needed. So our way of being and living on a moment by moment was to meet my needs and not my greed. You know, this other way was just storage, store up, store up, fill your cupboard up with food, fill your rooms up with food, 
where he said, no, don't worry about that. When you get it, just share it with everybody. And there'll be others to get when you go out there. There's plenty, plenty out there. Just learn how about those kind of food, which vegetables are edible, which is need to be collected and treated so that it can become edible, which fishes are non-poisonous, which everything is edible there. Especially in the bay, in the coastal areas, it is so easy to live. And that's the one thing I grew, understood quite early in life, how easy it was to live, take the food from the salt water uh, and the islands uh, uh, compared to find, trying to find it in the desert where I lived. Because in this hotter area, arid zone here, you had to really work to find your tucker. <laughs> but you, you learned that too. If you learned the ways of all the reptiles, all the creatures that you need for food, and once you listened and learned and uh, applied those teachings, you, you could survive anywhere. But you never, ever put yourself in a risk where you couldn't survive. <laughs> well, well, that's um, really uh, very interesting, Bob. And it's, it's something that I, I uh, um, many of the principles behind the statements that you made are quite profound and it's things that the white people from other countries are still learning to grasp and um, the concept of only to meet the needs rather than to meet the greed and I think that's really an important piece. Uh, We're getting close to our break time here in a minute or so and I'd like to elaborate on uh, what you just articulated about uh, how you, um, the concepts of living in harmony and, and how uh, when we work not only with the land and the animals and the people, but if we, uh, like the people from one country, but when people come together from other countries to learn how to create a workable solution that works for everyone. That is, I think, the topic that we're still struggling with today. And so when we come back for, from break here, I'd like for us to discuss this a little bit further. Is that okay with you? Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> All right. We'll take our break now and then... Uh, We'll come back and elaborate on that. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Visit the Energy Medicine Partnerships website at www.energymedicinepartnerships.com for workshops, classes, and special events promoting health and healing. These holistic programs are available for both health professionals and lay individuals. Water Lily Press NC provides the teaching materials for these programs, and you can find a link to Water Lily Press NC when you visit energymedicinepartnerships.com. While you're on the site, you may also check out Akamai University's Distant 
education programs, where Dr. Mary Jo Bulbrook is director of the complementary therapies programs. Akamai University offers postgraduate diploma clinical education programs preparing clinicians, practitioners, and specialists in complementary therapies, as well as both master's and doctoral education in complementary therapies. For more information about Akamai University, visit akamaiuniversity.us. That's A-K-A-M-A-I university.us. And for more information about Energy Medicine Partnerships, visit energymedicinepartnerships.com. Hi, I'm Ed Krell, CEO of Destination Maternity. We proudly support the March of Dimes work to reduce the rate of premature birth. The numbers have gone down in the past five years, but still nearly half a million babies are born too soon in the United States each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs to help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit MarchofDimes.com. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. This is Wise Chats, simple talk, profound wisdom. To reach Dr. Mary Jo Bulbrook or today's guest, please call us at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to maryjo at energymedicinepartnerships.com. Now, back to Wise Chats. Welcome back to the show, Wise Chats. We have visiting with us Bob Randall and his partner, Barbara Randall. Uh, They're in Uluru, Central Australia, and we've just been sharing uh, some of Bob's history and experiences as a child growing up and as that contrasted uh, from his early experience to when uh, the white people came in and started taking over. And how that impacted both his personal life once he was, he's part of the stolen generation where he was taken from his parents and forced to live uh, by the government into a different situation and overcoming that over the years and sharing what those experiences are like is the first part of the story. And now we'd like to tune into, um, having Bob talk more about the relationship of all living things and how he, he, uh, how he dealt with these two discrepancies, what his early experience was and what then came into his life. So I'll, I'll turn it over to you now, Bob, and what you'd like to share. No worries, that's good. Yeah, we believe in our culture that when we... Uh, from the spirit world where we come from, where just uh, every living things you can think about that are around us each moment of our life uh, while we're here, every living thing uh, is just another raindrop like ourselves in an ocean of water. Every living thing is just a raindrop. So the oneness is a reality in our teachings. And you there equally. And it's very hard to tell the difference when you're all part of the whole, part of the oneness. 
but you're all there and you're aware of each other's being and right of being. You know, there's no, uh, there's no hierarchy in that spiritual oneness uh, and it's more or less like a place of caring and sharing which is eternal and it, nothing else exists but that. But when you come into this earth plane, there is the extra gift you're given, which is the one of free will. So when you're given to come out through the birth channels, you are given that extra free will. You have a choice. In that other place, you've got no choice because everything is so beautiful and good and it's a place of unconditional love in every way you can imagine it can be. Then you come into the earth plane as you... Uh, find yourself being born and uh, living. Uh, but there are other the beings which decided to come with you, like the trees, the kangaroo, the emus, the snake, at the same time because they like being with you and being around you. So they're there too, so they come with you too. And that's when then you go through an institution-like setting where, where through the new teachings, through the white teachings, Man put himself on top of everything else. And I think, to me, as a child, that was the hardest thing I, I had to try and adjust to. Uh, I could take what food I wanted, but I, was, I could always do that. But I didn't take more than I needed because all the other teachings that accompanied my upraising as a child in the earth plane was that I was another caretaker for what really belongs to my children's children and their children. But not only the human species, I was responsible also for every tree's children's children and their children's and every kangaroo's and every emu's and every snake and every, every other living thing. That responsibility didn't just stop with me as a human. It went beyond my humanness to include to include every other living thing. That they too have got children who's got to follow in their footsteps and who will have rights and will be expecting these rights. So the old trees that are living there with me today as elderly are also responsible for their young. And this... Teachings is such a natural part of our being, and I really believe it, it could, uh, if we all followed this way of being and caring for other living things, we will find that there will always be enough for everybody all the time. The water will be kept clean, the ocean will be kept clean, and the plants and other creatures we raise for ourselves can be really looked after if we could realise that we, we are there for each other and we should be if we could learn to be that. And those are the major differences I found with the way the missionaries were raising me on the reservation. On one side, living with my people, I'm going out, uh, you know, for hunting with them out bush. You yeah, had that way of being, being practised, and then you have the strict upbringing that, uh, yeah, we want those acres of land, so knock every tree down, you know, <laughs> that kind of land clearing and, right. and put, right. putting only what you needed instead of thinking those, well, those, hey, that part of the land may belong to these trees' children. You know what I'm saying, Mary Jo? Yes. yes. <laughs> you know, they too have children to believe things to. And where are their spirits going to feel? when their, their kids had come up and said, 
what did you do with our land, Mum? What did you do with our land, Grandpa? What did you do with our land, Uncle? Uh, hearing you describe that, Bob, reminds me of a uh, experience I had when our mutual friend, Rose Perry, who's a Tuhuna from New Zealand, was visiting here in North Carolina. I was getting ready for the event and preparing uh, my home and the environment, and I went out to place in a tree uh, some kind of a hanging. I don't remember. It may have been like a chime. And when I walked over to this tree, I, I couldn't quite figure out how to get it onto the tree. I didn't have either the structure that you'd hang it on the tree was too small or um, and it just wasn't fit. And so I thought, oh, I'll just break this branch off and then I'll be able to do what I want. And I remember oh. making that decision. And when I broke the branch of the tree, I could feel the pain of the tree exactly. because exactly. I didn't honor it. And I immediately went to the teachings that you gave me. And part of it was uh, now that I'm I'm sensitive to that and understand that because I, w- I wasn't raised on the concept that you have just described. <laughs> and th- this is this is where we're having some of the problems that we have in the world. And uh, and recently I just came back from Peru uh, doing some teaching down there in uh, outside Lima, Peru. Actually, we, we were in the city for this teaching, and we had 150 people from all over. There were 30 from Chile and uh, from Bolivia and Argentina and throughout Latin America. Mm-hmm. And I was I was talking to them about how to. Um, we we were focusing on energy medicine, which was the immediate topic that we were dealing with, and spirituality. And my goal was to talk about some of these principles. And what I said to them is is the points that you're making is I don't come in with a body of knowledge and teaching that says this is the way you have to do it. It's like I go into another country and I share what gifts I have and I learn how to work with that gift in relationship to the people I'm serving. So it doesn't mean everybody has to do it this way, but this is this is what I bring. And I, I showed them, because I had worked with one of the traditional healers there, and as she was sharing with me one of the plants and how she works with that, I was given a vision of uh, and developed something called Seven Hearts Healing. And... I shared that with the group, and the primary purpose was to address the point that you are just making, that we need to do things in collaboration and in uh, harmony with each other and understand the rights of all things and not feel that we can just walk all over people, walk over the land, walk over the animals, and take what we want even more than we need and not in consideration what other people need, but to do mm-hmm. the this, this sharing in a collaborative way. And sure. I know I learned most of that from my experiences with you, and I thank you and appreciate uh-huh. for giving me that teaching. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a fantastic teaching. If the world applies that, 
of wherever we are, we will always have enough for everybody. But if the, the few with the technology, advanced technology, the skills, the education and everything else uh, and the ability to collect and hoard and keep, it isn't the best way to live. There are other ways of the old principles coming in of caring and sharing and in that what we call each one of us is really related to each other. The oneness is a reality because we come from that spiritual base of, you know, each one of us is a drop of water in an ocean of love, you know, and that's every living thing. Uh, and then we come into the earth plane with that one extra free gift of free choice. And if we choose to apply the old way, old teachings of caring and sharing, it will always work, because it always does. Uh, and I've seen it in action so many times with me and my people that even me making something for myself to use because I needed it to go and get a, a feed of crab or fish or something, uh, when I finished using it, all I had to do was just lean it against the wall and the next person who wanted it could just come and take it. They didn't have to ask me for it. It was there to be used by those who needed to use it. And if I had my fill of what I'd had and there was other foods there, then other hungry people should have the right to come and eat what and uh, take what they need from the same table I've taken my food from and ate from. And this can be extended into the huge houses. You, you wouldn't have many homeless children, homeless people, if all the big houses would open up their doors to share with those people in every country that you're living in. And if everybody, those had more than enough to eat on a daily basis, could share what, the, what they didn't need with those who didn't have any. It will work. It can't help but work because it is the right way of being in that oneness of we are all family. And we are fast becoming aware of that as a global family. We can visit each other's country just daily, hourly almost there. We can listen to each other's different language, take an interest and participate and start uh, experiencing the differences of the culture and appreciating the beauty and the uh, differences of it, you know, and that's fast becoming uh, happening in the tourism industry. You know, we are able to do all these beautiful things. And if we could just now look at our own home base and say, uh, let us apply and open up our house and give what extra we got to those who haven't got it will really help us have a better relationship with each other. For sure. Uh, what I'd like to do is uh, if Barbara could share a few comments about because uh, 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 the two of you coming together. Because one, I think it's a wonderful story and I think it exemplifies uh, bringing together two very different worlds in a new way and how you create something beautiful through that sharing. Um, so would you like to make a few comments about that, Barbara? Well, I think uh, for me, being here gives me an opportunity to 
understand the differences between the old ways and the modern ways in a very general sense. And I'm, I'm American-born. I found myself uh, coming to Australia, I thought, to be a grandmother in 2008. And instead, what happened was, before I had come, I had seen Bob's film, Kanyini. And I was so moved by what I saw in this film, I had prior to that basically denounced uh, my choices in, in life and decided that I only wanted to contribute to that was, which was of truth and love. And I had been a student of many traditions, uh, very curious about, uh, about learning and about finding love in life and living love. And I had been disappointed on a number of occasions, even with master teachers. I was asking, where's the love? And when I saw this film, I said to myself, there it is. There's the love. It's in this man, and it's in this culture, and it's in this ancient teaching. And why is genocide happening to the indigenous peoples of Australia in this very developed world? So I ended up coming to be a grandmother, and two months later, met Bob and found a destiny here. And in many of the simplest ways of living, what I see is an intelligence that we as modern people have forgotten and moved away from. In the simplest ways of raising children, in the simplest ways of relating to each other, in a very balanced male-female, masculine-feminine way, both in nature and in relationships, relationship between me and Bob, relationship within a family system of indigenous culture that is highly intelligent, very effective and successful over many thousands of years. And this culture didn't experience the difficulties we have in modern times. And as a mother and as a grandmother, as a sister, as a woman, as an auntie, I'm gravely concerned about the children, the children now and the children in the future. And I see before us an opportunity to look at a, at a social system and very simple ways that are universally adaptable. And now, because of modern technology, we have available to us the wisdom of the few elders who are left, including Bob, who can share with us another way of being, a way I think we've all evolved from, but have moved away from. And so we have this... Uh, this wisdom available to us. And I see the contrast just in my own life and in the, in the lives of many people from many different cultures all over the world. I also see the similarities 
in all of the indigenous cultures, the people who we meet throughout the world, from people from different lands, the indigenous peoples, I see the same philosophy of living, applied philosophy of living that has kept their people in living in peace and living in integrity and in health, spiritual, physical, emotional health. And and I see the same sorts of of afflictions that they're suffering and losses that they're suffering at the hands of modern people who are imposing and assimilating these cultures. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, as a mother, as a grandmother, as a woman, as a modern person, I would hope that more opportunities like this radio show are made available so that the voices of these elders can spread throughout the world and each one of us modern people can have an opportunity to listen and choose for ourselves how we're going to apply this wisdom in our own lives so that we can move away from the destruction that we have participated in. Tell the two story of the young uns of the trust, what you call the trust. So Bob is asking me to tell to share to share a story (laughs) as an example of this. Mm. So about a year ago we were out bush with the family and Ani Barbara Chickadoo, who speaks very little English, was approached by an American visitor who said to her, Ani Barb, would you tell us how do you smoke the newborn babies? How do you do this ceremony? And Ani Barb, who speaks very little English and who, as a traditional elder, knows that in teaching it's better to show than to talk. So Anibar digs a shallow pit and she lines it with the proper leaves and sets it alight. And then she calls over her grandson, who's about four years old, and he comes proudly toddling over and she grabs him by the arm and picks him up and holds him over this smoking fire. And this little baby is happy as can be just allowing Ani Barb to do what she needs to do. And I thought it was interesting, but I didn't realize what I was learning until many months later when I found myself in America and my own four-year-old granddaughter had to go to the pediatrician. And she was resistant, to say the very least. And so we, her mother and I, both bribed her with a lolly, with a candy. Maya, if we give you this candy, will you go to the pediatrician and let her examine you? And she said, yes, of course. And so on the way there, Maya is enjoying her lolly in the car, which she doesn't, she doesn't have access to very often. Her mother's a naturopath. And we get to the pediatrician's office. The pediatrician is literally a little old lady, very tiny, uh, And she comes up to Maya and she says, Maya, I'm just going to listen to your belly with this stethoscope. And Maya starts kicking and screaming and flailing her arms and will not let this pediatrician touch her. And so we had to leave. And in the car on the way home, I said to Maya, Maya, honey, 
why didn't you let the pediatrician listen to your belly? You know, you said you'd do that if we gave you a lolly. And she said, Booby, I didn't trust that doctor. Hmm. And I realized something that, that in indigenous culture, the trust has never been broken because the knowledge has been passed down impeccably for hundreds of generations from elder to child without edit, without censor, and it has kept the the physical and the spiritual and the emotional, every aspect of living, it has supported without failure. And this knowledge comes from the Jukapa, the what uh, modern people call the dreaming. So it was knowledge that was given. And it keeps the cultures alive and ensures the safety and the survival in eloquence, in beauty, in joy for hundreds of generations. And there's never been a reason for any of this trust to be lost. Whereas in modern times, even a four-year-old child has to discern for herself whether or not she can trust an elder. Wow, we have that's, uh, broken that trust. <laughs> yes, yeah. Because we have forgotten as adults the knowledge that has ensured our safety and our survival in eloquence, and instead we have gone to to contrived ways of living that are not in harmony with nature. They are supportive of greed and of desires that are totally superfluous and have nothing to do with keeping us alive in spiritual, physical, and emotional eloquence. Thank you, uh, Barbara, for sharing your experiences. We're uh, uh, out of time at this point, and uh, I'd like to thank both of you for your contributions and uh, yes. I will enjoy listening to them over and over as uh, uh, to capture all of the stories. So thank you for being on our show. Um, Bob, I wish you and Barbara all the best in your thank ongoing you. teachings. Thank and, you, Mary. And, and, and we'll look forward to having some more wise chats next week. So join <laughs> us again and uh, we'll share some more simple talk profound wisdom. Thank you. Thanks again for being a part of Wise Chats. Please join your host, Dr. Mary Jo Bulbrook, again next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America's 7th Wave Channel. We hope that you have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 